welcome back to Podiatry Today Podcasts, where we bring you the latest in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, the Managing Editor for Podiatry Today. Today, we'd like to welcome back Dr. Robert Smith, DPM. Dr. Smith is currently in private practice in Ormond Beach, Florida, and was deployed to Iraq as a member of a medical team that created, established, and operated an inpatient and outpatient pharmacy for military and civilians from 2013 to 2016. He continues to consult for multiple government agencies, along with lecturing and writing on topics relevant to podiatry, wound care, and pharmacy. Today, the discussion centers around compounding pharmacy and how the podiatrist might best benefit from this service for their patients. Dr. Smith, in addition to being a podiatrist, your background includes being a pharmacist. Could you tell us a little bit about your interest in compounding pharmacy? I became conscious of the profession of pharmacy at the age of nine in 1968 and began my path to become a pharmacist by delivering medication for the neighborhood and uh, sweeping the floors and dusting the shelves. And I still remember how fascinated I was with the process of compounding, the pharmacist filling gelatin capsules, pressing sublingual tablets and buccal tablets, making emulsions, suspensions, creams, and ointments. For those listeners who may be new to the topic, can you give us a brief definition of what compounding is? So defining compounding is the preparation, mixing, and assembling, altering, packaging, and labeling of the drug, the drug delivery device, or the device in accordance with a licensed practitioner's prescription, medication order, or initiated by the relationship between the practitioner, patient, pharmacist, and compounder in the course of the profession and practice of art of pharmacy. So what do you feel is the role of the compounding pharmacist? And can you give us a better idea about the different types of compounding pharmacies? The role of a compounding pharmacist can be defined with the three-word motto, individualized drug therapy. So we have independent community pharmacies. We have chain pharmacies, hospital pharmacies, of course, mail-order pharmacies, as well as compounding-only pharmacies that include both independent pharmacies that specialize in human dosage forms, as well as veterinarian dosing forms. And then specialty pharmacies that are hospital, contract, home health, as well as our nuclear pharmacies that specialize in compounding the radioactive isotopes that we may use, for instance, in bone scans. So can you tell us some reasons that a provider may choose to utilize a compounding pharmacy over a traditional pharmacy? Now, one of the reasons why there is a growth in pharmacy compounding now is because of limited dosage forms, limited strengths, the home health care needs, hospice needs, and that there are uh, drug products and combinations that are being discontinued by manufacturers or drug shortages. We look at orphan drugs. We have office use products that we can use in our office that the compounding pharmacists can make. We have limited products that are for children and elderly. 
and the use of topical or transdermal administration is increasing. What are some examples of patients in the podiatric population that might benefit from compounding pharmacy? If we focus on special populations uh, that the, can utilize these pharmacies, we have pediatrics, of course, geriatrics. Pain management is a good um, forum for compounding pharmacies. If we have patients that are environmentally or cosmetically sensitive to commercially available products, even our sports injury patients can benefit from specialized compounding pharmacies. So who governs the laws and regulations for compounding pharmacies? Pharmacies, including compounding pharmacies, are regulated by the states. The Federal Food and Drug Administration regulates commercial pharmaceutical manufacturing and does not subject the compounded drugs to the new drug approval process. However, the FDA has produced a compliance guide to help determine when a compounding pharmacy is acting like a drug manufacturer. Dr. Smith, are there any emerging issues or topics that you feel are going to contribute to the future of compounding pharmacy? Now, if we center on my research of pharmacogenomics, I believe it's going to play a large part because based on an individual's human genome, we're going to be able, and we are now, selecting drugs based on the person's genetic profile that will have less adverse effects and increased therapeutic effects. And this has been demonstrated with tramadol, with codeine, and I described this in a previous podcast with allopurinol. So it's going to allow better drug selection when we start using pharmacogenomics, better selection of doses, and that compounding may play a major role when we start applying pharmacogenomics to prescribing. You shared with me that antifungal therapy and the treatment of arthritis and inflammation are two areas in particular where you feel that compounding pharmacy can have an impact for podiatric patients. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners? Well, let's look at fungal infections. We know that dry, cracked skin of the foot and heel are prime sources of fungal infection. And unfortunately, the tough surface uh, is difficult for the -the over-the-counter medications to be effectively penetrating and help cure the disease. If we look at arthritis and inflammatory pain, Long-term side effects of oral pain medication is well-documented, whereby targeting uh, topical, we can alleviate some of these adverse effects. So it seems like the idea is to use compounded topical medications to avoid some of the adverse side effects or issues with efficacy that we find in traditional medications for these conditions. And using combination Uh, products that compounding pharmacies can make can um, have a synergistic effect and aid healing and improve quality of life. So are there any particular medication ingredients that you find useful or good to know about when it comes to this combination therapy? As documented in 2004, when we have fungal infections of the feet that is associated with dry, cracked skin and heel fissures, and hyperkeratosis, we can actually use topical 40% urea cream in combination to 
assist in treating moccasin tinea pedis. There's been um, a few studies published in the Journal of Medical Microbiology as early as 2000 that uh, explains the use of ibuprofen alone or in combination of azoles in the treatment of candidiasis. Topical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are effective in relieving pain in acute and chronic conditions, um, as documented in 1998 in the British Medical Journal, as well as looking at pharmaceutical research in 1996 that looks at the percutaneous absorption of ketoprofen at different anatomical sites in man. It seems like peripheral neuropathy might be a condition of interest when it comes to evaluating the role of compounding pharmacy in a treatment plan. What's your experience with this, Dr. Smith? As topical formulations are developed, they can help with neuropathic pain. Research has shown that topical applied ketoprofen provides a high local concentration of drugs below the site of application, but decreases systemic exposure and significantly reduces the risk of gastrointestinal upset and bleeding as well as the use of transdermal arginine documented in uh, diabetes care in January 2004, or topical doxepin um, documented in 2003 in wounds, where they used doxepin 5% twice daily for four weeks, and the patient responded dramatically with loss of severe burning sensation with no side effects. What about physical medicine and rehabilitation? How does that intersect with compounding pharmacy? The use of ionophoresis for um, plantar fasciitis and a solution of dexamethasone or phonophoresis, uh, the technique of combining topical therapy with ultrasound to achieve therapeutic drug concentrations in the muscle and other tissues beneath the skin. Ultrasound gels can be formulated with anti-inflammatory agents and anesthetics. This is documented also um, in JATMA in 1999 with acetic acid and ionophoresis, or the American Journal of Sports Medicine in 1997 with the use of 0.4% dexamethasone. You shared your expertise before in podiatry today regarding off-label prescribing. How might this apply to compounding pharmacy issues? I myself published an article in Wounds in 2010 that, uh, yes, described off-label use of prescription medication with the purpose to serve as a foundation and review the available literature, outlined the concept and practice of off-labeling medication, but it also looked at specific medications as misoprozole, nifedipine, and phenytoin to treat wounds and giving uh, grounded clinical-based evidence that compounding these products would be beneficial for some of our wound patients. What are some common products that a compounding pharmacist might be able to make available to podiatrists? Chlortrimazole and di, uh, DMSO, dexamethasone as ionophoresis solutions, fluconazole and ibuprofen, ketamine and gabapentin transdermal gel, ketoprofen 10%, and KOH solutions of 5 and 10%, as well as phenytoin topical and urea 40% ointment.
Dr. Smith, as we wrap up today, any final thoughts you'd like to share with listeners? The compounding pharmacy can work closely with the patient and the podiatric physician to develop the best available solution for our podiatric challenges. Whether it's chronic pain from calluses or an individual struggling to complete everyday activities due to debilitating ulcers, the compounding pharmacist can help. They customize the solution for the podiatric physician using a variety of dosing formulations. And I encourage the audience to engage with the compounding pharmacy, visit the facility, learn the pharmacist's skill set, and learn what products may be available for the podiatric physician. And I suggest you ask about the patient cost versus insurance cost of the products that you select. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for your insights on this topic. And to the listeners, we hope you'll join us in the future for more of the latest on foot and ankle surgery and medicine from leaders in the field on Podiatry Today podcasts. We are also available on your preferred podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more.